Hey there, I'm Heather Mulder, a former AmLaw 100 partner who, just five years into my legal career, found myself questioning, why work so hard to barely be squeezing life in? So that I wouldn't become yet another attorney burnout statistic, I decided to redefine success on my terms from the inside out, which is what enabled me to build a profitable legal practice while navigating my way through the challenges of two kids and two bed rests, the 2008 financial crisis, and a battle with breast cancer. What I learned is that you can build a successful legal career without sacrificing your health or personal happiness. And I'm on a mission to help you do exactly that. Join me each week for practical, unfiltered advice on how to successfully navigate the challenging legal market and succeed in both law and life. This is the Life in Law Podcast. Well, hey there. Welcome to the Life in Law Podcast. This is your host, Heather Mulder. And today I have a wonderful guest who I cannot wait for you to hear from because she is going to talk about having a virtual law firm and how to manage and lead a virtual law firm. Something that I think a lot of lawyers are starting to realize is actually possible thanks to the pandemic. Welcome, Elise Bowie. Thank you so much, Heather, for having me. I so look forward to chatting about this today. Yeah, I can't wait. I think um, I remember when we first met, we talked about this a little bit and I was like, oh, I have to have her on to talk about this because it keeps coming up with a lot of my clients. <laughs> and I know it's it's an issue within the legal world right now is how to make that balance work and can it really work? And we were forced to, but do we really want to go back? And all these questions, right? All these questions. <laughs> yeah. So why don't we just get started from the beginning though? Why don't you tell people a little bit more about you and your practice and how you started and how you got to where you are now? Sure. I'm up. Summarize it all quick. Um, I mean, I am a family law attorney. I have an office in Seattle, currently all virtual. We do have an office in downtown Seattle we can go to, but we all work like the plague to never have to go there. I personally have never seen that office because we actually moved during the pandemic. But um, that being said, so I in, from New Orleans. I mean, I practiced in New Orleans, went through a whole, you know, evolution, moved to Georgia with Hurricane Katrina, got relicensed, moved to Minnesota, um, got divorced, which that divorce should have happened right before Hurricane Katrina, but, you know, a storm blew through. So we had to make some <laughs> different changes so we could put our kids front and center and make that less chaotic. So then when I moved out here to Seattle, I had to get relicensed out here, took the bar, started working in a family law firm. At the time, I had four of my own children. I was newly remarried, two stepchildren. So trying to figure out how do you parent six people, deal with all that, practice law, try to figure out how to pay for my four to go to college, which was you know, kind of looming. I had one who was a junior at the time. So that was coming quick. So I started my own practice out here in Seattle and started it virtually. So did that in 2015 virtually because I was like, I'll know how else I'm supposed to roll, like doing the mom thing and the lawyer thing. And I was like, I can't be sitting here at my desk in downtown Seattle at 6 p.m. when I should be driving my child to freshman football and, you know, being <laughs> the booster mom. So it was this whole thing of how do I make this work? And to be fair, my husband has a job that required a lot of travel. We got to go all over the world with his work. And I thought this is so silly that I wouldn't be able to take advantage of those opportunities mm -hmm. because of this desk in downtown Seattle. Like I literally kept looking at my desk in downtown Seattle as like this ball and chain around me. And so when I 
started my own firm, I was like, well, I'm getting rid of that big clunky desk and Mm. we are doing something different. So we started, like I said, in 2015 and have grown since then. And obviously the pandemic, we grew like leaps and bounds. And um, so, you know, we're now at about 50 people, I think, and have um, all virtual and it works great. For some, not great for others, clearly there's dynamics and we can talk about all of those. Yeah, why don't you get into a little bit, like, I know there's a lot of lawyers out there who say that just can't be done. Not really, but obviously it can. Yet, there's a caveat, perhaps not for everybody. So let's get into that a little bit. What have you found, you know, or who have you found it works best for versus who it doesn't? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And for me, one of the things, and obviously I'm learning all the time. I mean, you know, ask me three years ago what I thought would be different than what I think today. (laughs) You know, it's a constant evolution of learning. One of the things where we started our firm, one of the just massive tenants was obviously, you know, my anti-ball and chain routine of I needed freedom. I needed freedom to be the best mom I could be, the best wife I could be, the best lawyer I could be, and the best community member I could be. That does not work well in my world, sitting at a desk 40 to 50 hours a week in some specified location Mm because kids' activities show up in the middle of the day. You know, traveling with my husband shows up randomly, like just whatever, being able to show up at a a PTA meeting. I was super involved in those types of things with the kids' schools. So really focusing on how could I have what I call life-work integration or life-work harmony. So to make things harmonious, I had to be more flexible. So when I'm looking to hire people, we are having very frank discussions about the autonomy and flexibility that our work environment provides. But the flip side of that is this level of personal accountability that you cannot walk away from. Uh Like I have to be able to trust that these people who I can't see, I don't know that they're actually working at any given moment, you know, that they are actually getting the work done to the degree they need to get the work done. So in my mind, that autonomy with that accountability, the thing that lives in the middle of that is this intense level of communication and care. So I think of it as communication, not only with your legal team. So like if you're a paralegal, let's say you're at the park playing because it's got great weather in Seattle, you know, 90 days out of the year. And so you're going to take advantage (laughs) of that sun. And you might be there for four hours. That is completely fine. Nobody's going to say a thing. But if something comes up in that time, we have to know that you're also going to be able to, you know, maybe put your kid down that night And you're going to pick back up and handle whatever needs to be handled. And those things are happening seamlessly. And Mm -hmm. if there's something that needs to be handled immediately, that communication is there where the team knows that one person might be out and about at a park. So maybe another person's going to need to step up and do it. And we have a very strong culture of collaboration where the teams work together and we work across functionally across teams because If somebody is out, I mean, I think of it as like a football team. My kids all played football. So I think of you got to have a certain amount of depth on your bench Mm -hmm. so that you can cover people and you can have the level of flexibility you need. And again, that autonomy, but you have to be hiring people 
who are willing to communicate to the degree you have to, and who have that level of care, not only for each other, where they're not, you know, it's not like you're going to be the only one at the park every day, and then your teammate isn't going to be at the park. You know, you need to be having those conversations and Mm -hmm. looking at what works for the team. And then you have to have that care of your client's needs and realize that maybe a client has a need that's popping in while you're at the park. Maybe you're hopping on an email while you're at the park and you're saying like, I'm out of office right now, but I'm completely going to get to this. I have time this evening at seven o'clock. Let's set up a time to talk. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so it requires, I mean, this is not for people who do not look at personal responsibility Mm. as almost like a badge of honor, you know, like they, I mean, personal responsibility is massive in our office. It has to be a big characteristic of who they are. So I hear, I hear that. I hear several things. People need to understand this is not for people who are just wanting to kind of get by and kind of sort of work here and there. No, people who actually want to work, care about their work and have high levels of responsibility And also who are willing to, I think that you highlighted something here that a lot of people don't think about. Flexibility can be wonderful if you understand what it really is. (laughs) Because flexibility does not mean you, everybody is flexible to you and your schedule. It means you also have to be flexible to theirs at times. And it means that if you are taking a half day off to go do something with your kid, that then you realize you're going to have to come back sometimes and still work later. It's not that work from nine to five or eight to six or whatever kind of mentality that a lot of people have. You have to change that whole mentality around. Completely. And I mean, you have to be so flexible in that it might mean you're working on a Saturday. It might Mm -hmm. mean you're waking up early on a Sunday morning because you know you're going on, you know, the school field trip all day on Tuesday and you want to make sure, you know, that field trip is kind of peaceful and you're not getting, you know, any messages. So you're pulling in and you're doing something on Sunday and you're fine with that because the field trip isn't on Sunday, you know, it's on Tuesday and right. And you know that nobody is going to say anything to you about being gone all day Tuesday, except we're going to love to see pictures of the field trip. We're going to be thrilled that you were able to go on that field trip. And, you know, but to have that kind of collaboration, there has to be that flip side. And the other mm-hmm. thing that we do different is we don't mandate anybody's billable hours. I mean, when people come on, they tell us what is their billable hour goal? What do they want to work towards? And they tell me what their billable hours are. I tell them what I will pay them. And we then have conversations ongoing If people want to raise their billable hours and earn more money, that is fine. If they want to lower their billable hours, earn less money, that is fine. But we very much expect people to hit the goals that they set because they have set them. I have not. And I mean, we, I mean, we have attorneys as low as 800 hours a year and attorneys as high as like 1650, you know, so it depends on people's lives, what they want. I mean, their cycle of life. I mean, you know how it is. 1650 sounds really nice to somebody who came from big law. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, and girl, I have to tell you, I'm with you because I came from the insurance defense world and my <laughs> 2,400 a year, you know, was just completely normal. 
Right. That's not normal nowadays in a small <laughs> firm setting, I can assure you. Yeah, yeah. No, and I get that. And I think, so I think it just really, you need to be honest with yourself when you're thinking about whether you want a virtual office or whether you want to join a virtual office, because there are some people out there who prefer the structure of going in and being somewhere from a particular time to a particular time and then leaving. And and something I would note too, and I, I remember when I first started coaching and everybody, practically everybody told me, I wish I had more flexibility. I want to be able to work from home more. I want to be, and I'm like, you need to understand, you got to be careful what you wish for if you don't understand what that really means. Because it does mean being flexible both ways. And it means you also have to have really good boundaries for yourself because it's super easy to be working from home and then just go do something real quick because it's quick and it takes away from your day. And then vice versa, to be walking by your computer and then, oh, I'm going to check that. And an hour later, you realize you've been working for an hour, right? So you, you have to be really clear about what are my own boundaries? What do I need? And what am I capable of enforcing? and the structure that you need that you work best in, right? I I think you've hit the nail on the head. I mean, people have to be so Mm self-aware of, you know, their, how they work, how they work best, how they're going to collaborate best. Like, you know, do they need that face-to-face meetings? And obviously you can do a lot of that with Zoom, you know, you can Mm -hmm. see people and whatever, but, you know, what kind of things do they need? Because I mean, one of the things we spend a lot of time on is building a culture of collaboration in a virtual world. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, we have like a Slack channel that, you know, our Slack has, I don't even know how many channels. I mean, I would venture to say 50 or so where, I mean, you know, there's like a joy channel, there's healthy wellness, (laughs) there's yoga, there's case status, there's celebration, you know what I mean? All Mm -hmm. the things. And so people can find different things that they're involved in. They can be forming those relationships with team members around things that they are close. And I mean, we have a parenting channel who, that I just love. I mean, we have certain members who will post parenting questions and, you know, struggles they're having, and we'll hop on a zoom together as a group and like Talk about how do you deal with a four-year-old who's talking back and, you know, how do you, but I mean, those kind of things that like water cooler talk, you know, Uh is super helpful in, because to be able to do this work, you have got to care personally a lot about each other because Uh of that need of offering that grace and flexibility all the ways, you know, and, and to do that understanding where we all come from and understanding what we all are dealing with, like knowing you might have a couple of kids at home that you're might be homeschooling them as well. I mean, you could all kinds of different scenarios, or maybe you're caretaking with an older parent and understanding that, that, you know, midday lunch is an important thing. You're, you're maybe getting lunch ready for your grandmother or whatever. Right. So, and this was a question I was going to ask, but we've already gone into it so we could go even further you have to create a culture that you want, right? It obviously needs to be very collaborative for this to work, for this type of thing to work. And it sounds to me like you have used a really ingenious idea for creating water cooler type discussions in a virtual realm, which I think is genius because the one thing I hear from my clients, and especially I heard from clients who are very people 
like oriented, very connection oriented, like to see people face to face and be in person during the shutdown was they, they like hated how unattached they felt to people they were working with. They were still working and they were doing it online, but Zoom did not work enough for them, like just to get online and like these big Zoom things that they, that right. big firms especially would have. And I think that's a way to know you're not seeing each other when you're doing the Slack channel, but you're getting into more in-depth conversation like you would at the water cooler and you're asking real questions and you're getting to know people. And then you can take it and have a small group, not a huge 50-person group, but a smaller right. group of people to get together to you know, support one another on those issues if you need and want to. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, we have all kinds of strange kind of things. Like we have a firm book club that meets. So like, you know, we have a book every month and somebody curates questions around the book. And so that's a small group of people. We have a leadership book club where we're focused Mm -hmm. on, you know, leadership development and we come together. We've had cooking classes where I've gone on and taught how to make shrimp etouffee because, you know, I think everyone (laughs) should know how to make a roux. But, um, you know, just what I mean, we've had firm yoga on Tuesday nights and and we do a variety of like firm events where then in that large group we will start as a large group. Then we'll break out and we'll have breakout rooms where we play fun kind of like get to know you games and different Mm -hmm. things. And um, those things are really awesome. And like we have mixers like today we have a mixer for new members that have come on. But then we also do uh, get to know team members. So we'll just have a Zoom and a team member will kind of be on a hot seat and it'll be like, ask them anything, like get to know. And it's obviously completely optional. You know, you don't have to come like right. if you don't want to, you can come. And those are a lot of fun. And then we also do um, learning lunch boxes where like on Friday, we put on some type of learning as a firm virtually and people will come and do those. And so, and then we also have like a a smaller like training for newer attorneys or paralegals. Mm -hmm. We do kind of like family law 101 online training. Again, all these are opportunities for people to come together in smaller settings that are more focused on what their interests might be and, you know, what they're thinking about. Then we also do one thing. We have somebody in our firm who in our like client relations, sales intake team started doing these weekly challenges that has been so powerful to watch that team coalesce around these weekly challenges. And they get, they choose what their challenge is. They kind of throw out ideas and then they choose. And it's been things like, you know, mindfulness or, you know, slowing mm, okay. down or just a lot of, you know, kind of like mindset leadership type, you know, how, how might you, you know, be more present in your calls with potential new clients, you know, just things. And, Watching those team members coalesce and then develop and grow and, you know, learn more about each other. I mean, it's pretty powerful Uh how you can develop real rapport through virtual channels. Yeah. And I don't know that a lot of people are going to know what Slack is, but go look it up if you don't, because it really is cool. It's this really powerful. It's like an app that you can get on your phone and on your computer too. And you can set up channels with different people in them and people can join whatever they want. And it's, it's kind of like a messaging system It is, and you can provide links to things in there. So you could do videos, you could do documents, whatever, but it's really, really, I think a great way if you're going to have a virtual firm (laughs) to, you know, 
create some of those water cooler type conversations that because you're not going to get them otherwise. No. And we, I mean, we use them for cases as well. Like there'll Mm -hmm. be panels, like we have certain cases that are like maybe more high intensity, you know, more team members are involved, high litigation, high conflict, you know, whatever that looks like. So we'll have a channel for that case. So, I mean, we can be collaborate in real time on things as they're happening. You know, somebody can pop in and be like, did you see that email from the court? You know, so-and-so, I need you to pop on and answer that and give us some guidance about where we're headed with that. You know, where, so we're not all getting emails about that. And so those are really helpful. We also, I mean, in a work environment, like we have mediations where you might have a younger attorney who needs that support from an older attorney, a more experienced type mentor attorney, they might be in a virtual mediation. So both attorneys might be present, but they can have a back Slack channel where that attorney can in real time be helping that other attorney. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, are you noticing your client's physical cues right now, how they're shutting down? We might want to, you know, make sure we caucus privately. And do you know what I mean? All those things. But I mean, that's pretty powerful to be able to do that in real time with somebody. Yes. And I think kind of necessary, not kind of, very necessary, whether it's Slack or something else, you need that capability when you're working virtually with one another. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And so I find it that part to be really, really powerful. And Mm -hmm. as a leadership team, I mean, we have a leadership channel. So like things, if something happens in the firm, you know, like immediately, like yesterday we had somebody resign. So that somebody, we have to deal with that. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like pretty immediately, mm-hmm. we need to hop on with that person. We need to hear why, you know what I mean? Get all the right. data, really make sure we're transitioning properly and that we're, you know, getting any real good feedback from that person. What can we learn from that? But I mean, for that to be able to happen in real time is so powerful mm-hmm. versus the okay, I'm going to send you an email and we're going to set a meeting three days from now. And <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yes. Yes. Which is everybody's go-to really. It um, is. And I think, and- you know, I think when you're in person, you would probably walk down the hall and talk to somebody more quickly. Yeah. This is your way of doing that when you're virtual, as opposed to scheduling that meeting and and, and really extending out the time for everything, right. which is what I think most lawyers I've talked to who have had to do more virtual work these last few years, that's what they complain about the most. Uh, too many meetings, too many Zoom calls for stupid things for, you know, and I'm like, there are other ways. Like you don't have to get have a Zoom meeting for everything, no. you know, and you don't have to email and schedule time and, and there's a lot of ways to make this work. And I think a Slack, you know, channel or something like it, Slack's probably the best one that I know out there for this type of thing, but um, it really would help with that because it allows you to be more nimble and not to have to like extend out that time period to deal with this kind of thing. You can hop on Slack too. They have Slack huddles where you can hop on a Slack video, you can hop mm-hmm. on and just do audio, which makes it like if there's something a three or four of you need to quickly discuss, it's super easy to just hop on and discuss it. Somebody can literally be in their kayak and right. be, be discussing something that needs to be discussed. 
And I, I'd say the other thing that is probably the most important thing and um, something that, you know, we are still perfecting, no doubt, is how do you hire people in a virtual setting who have the emotional intelligence needed to handle so much written communication and be able to deal with that? Because as you well know, I mean, written communication is different Mm-hmm. than that face-to-face. And obviously mm-hmm. there's pros and cons, all kinds of things we could talk about, you know, in a whole different podcast, you know, right. about communication, but getting those emotionally intelligent players where they can read an email, let's say, and maybe it's a, a curt email or it's something like that. And they <laughs> would tend to, you know, if you get somebody who doesn't have high emotional intelligence, they might be telling themselves a story and they're, you know, out there. Reading into stuff. Yeah. Yes. Whereas if you have somebody with really high EQ, you know, they're reading that email, they're curious. They're like, well, gosh, you know, that's kind of felt curt. I wonder if they meant it to feel curt, or I wonder if I'm just taking it as curt or whatever, but they would be able to address that in a way rather than, you know, one of those, oh my God, you sent me this rude, you know, And so that is a key, key piece is the level of EQ in your team. Mm-hmm. So how do you de- identify it? And, and I, was, I would even go further because we talked earlier, if we step back, about that responsibility, like that they have to have that. How do you identify at the outset, before you've ever hired them, the right candidate? And I'm sure you make mistakes sometimes, yeah. but is there <laughs> something that you've learned that you can do to be right more often than not? Oh, absolutely. Testing, testing, testing. Like, I mean, we test our candidates like from a, you know, a lot of times they do the DISC assessment. They do Jay Henderson's real talent assessment, which is golden. Um, They'll do a Colby. Sometimes I'll get them to do a Clifton Strength Finders. Um, I've gotten people to do the print assessment. I mean, like really understanding who they are, because then it becomes a mix. Like once I have a better picture of who they are and what, how they work and all that, then we look at first, you know, the hiring piece, then it's what team do they go on? How do Mm. we build strength-based teams? So we're not putting like a bunch of visionaries on a team and no executors, like not helpful. You know what I mean? Like, Oh yeah. No, I use StrengthsFinder with my clients and it's so important to ensure you have people who have different strengths, but then also fit together. hundred percent. I mean, I am one of those people like strength finders. Literally, I think the top seven of mine are all in influencing. Hmm. Got zero when it comes to execution. I mean, <laughs> pretty bad. Like, I'm like, well, if that isn't so obvious why I need a big team, do you know what I mean? Because I'm yes. that person who, I mean, I'm going to have ideas. I'm going to, you know, be like, Let's do this. And then I'm going to be like, okay, you do that because yes. I go, go gonna, do it. <laughs> because I'm going to fail miserably if we say that I'm going to do it. Right. So I'm sure though, people come in and are like, whoa, wait, this is a lot just to get yeah. hired here. But I would assume, and because I, I know people are like, oh, come on, that's a lot of work. That's, it's going to scare people away. But if it scares people away, isn't that a good thing? Absolutely. It means they're not a culture fit. And I'm going to be so bold as to say, even if they've gotten through and they're on our team, 
and it's not a culture fit, I would rather figure that out and let them go somewhere else where it is a culture fit, both for them and for us. I mean, like, you know, I just said, like, we've had somebody resign. Being able to be super grateful for people who come into your life and when they come into your life and how they have provided value and benefit and the things you learn. I don't care who it is. I have learned something from every Mm -hmm. single human I have come in contact with and absolutely every human who has been on our team. I have learned something from and hopefully they have learned something as well. And I am the first to be like more power to you. Like if this is a bad fit, how can I help you? How can I help you get your next position? Mm-hmm. How can I help you in your future career endeavors? Like, you know, what can I do to be a supporter of you moving forward? Which is so different than most lawyers attitude about people they hire that don't work out. And I think, you know, at least from what I've seen, and that's certainly in big law, <laughs> it's this, this assumption that, well, I just wasted a bunch of time and energy. And okay, so maybe you did a little bit, but not really because, well, you did if you learn nothing from it. But let's just be, then that's when it's wasted. But there's something that that can be learned. Something can be learned. So if you choose to learn something from it, you haven't wasted anything because you have new knowledge and information and wisdom that you can utilize moving forward. Always. You can grow. Like, I mean, I learn so much valuable insight when somebody can tell me like, Elise, this is something you do that drives me bananas, or this is something in the firm that I couldn't handle. I mean, if I'm not learning from that, I mean, ridiculous, Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. obviously. And I mean, my gosh, the amount of learning, I actually was in a class the other day and it's a dare to lead training. So it's like a Brene Brown kind of thing. And the teacher was like, you know, kind of going around asking people how they're doing. She's like, Elise, how are you doing? And I was like, well, um, to suffice it to say, I'm completely overwhelmed that I can be 54 and have so much learning still to do on a daily basis. I mean, it is nonstop. And but I'm I'm coming to appreciate that's just the way it is. Like, I think I had some silly, naive idea that one day I was going to be like, oh yeah, I kind of got this now. Like I understand this life thing or I understand. (laughs) I mean, that's just not real. We all think that and we want to think that, but here I would say this, but how awesome is it that you still have the capacity to learn and be challenged? And to me, if you look at life, like, oh man, how awesome is it that I still get to learn? Because Wouldn't life be kind of boring if you weren't? Oh, I can't. I mean, I can't imagine. I, I do drive my team crazy. I mean, because I send everybody books all the time. Like when I read a book and I love it, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna share it with everybody. You know, and they all joke. They're like, you obviously need to give us a bookshelf as one of our onboarding things, <laughs> clearly. <laughs> you know, but I mean, I am one of those just voracious readers. I mean, I cannot, you know, find enough information to help me. And I mean, I, I sometimes joke, I'm like, maybe I started with so many more problems than everybody else. That's why I feel like I have to do more, but I, there's just a lot, there's just so much to learn. And, you know, working with people, I mean, I, I say it all the time. People are stinky onions, but stinky onions make the best crawfish a to So (laughs) learning to 
figure that out and understand all those layers and being able to really dig in with people and and just realize like all the things I can bring positively and negatively and how do I turn that mirror on myself when I'm doing something negative and really look at that and try to make improvements. I mean, so no, I, when people come and go, I have never, ever once thought, oh my gosh, I wasted time. Never. Mm -hmm. Even in some volatile ones, like where somebody come and went fast, I learned so much. I was like, well, this was kind of cool that I got this big old lesson in this. That does require that whole like, kind of like, I don't know how you say it, but really trying to minimize your own ego in it. You know what I mean? Like really being open to the fact that, what do I know? I mean, like I, I, I'm a blank slate every day. I feel like I'm a blank slate of new opportunities for me to learn and figure out how can I do something better? Yeah, I think minimizing your ego is definitely important. And I think it's easier to do that if you start to see yourself as an integral piece. I like to think of life and looking at life and this whole work-life balance integration, whatever you want to call it, all of this as like a spider web with all these different threads that are interconnected and they all rely on one another. And no no one piece is all that important because if a spider web, if they start to fall apart, there's a lot that can fall apart before that thing implodes. Now, eventually it will, but nobody is so important in and of themselves, yet they are still an integrated piece and there's a ripple effect to them that does have an impact. We all do. And it doesn't matter what level you're at. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what experience you have. Everybody can learn from everybody else and everyone can be a teacher. And so I just, that's how I like to look at it. And if you start looking at life that way, your ego gets taken out of it. Oh yeah. You, it actually increases your EQ, by the way. Um, it, it opens you up for better emotional intelligence and how to learn to do that. It increases your relationships with people. I mean, it just, it gives you so many benefits. And frankly, it makes you happier too. Oh, like you see uh-huh. life differently. You see circumstances that were unexpected and difficult differently. You see everything differently. It's like a complete mindset shift. It is revolutionary. If you can get yourself out of the, the idea that you're it somehow that it, cause it's not, it's so, I mean, there's so many times I come to a meeting with other people and I think to myself, I don't have a clue how to solve this problem. Like, I'm like, you know, (laughs) I can see like 18 things that I think all together are a big mess. And I sure hope some of you have some great ideas because I am kind of confused, you know, and really realizing like how much you can lean on others and everybody's different strengths. And it's interesting because when we created our accountability chart recently, we kind of did a big revamp because I am not a hierarchical kind of person. And that Mm -hmm. typical, you think of like an org chart, which I know is different than accountability, but very hierarchical. You know, there's somebody at the top, there's like, you know, C-suite kind of leaders. And Mm -hmm. I just cannot even handle that. It makes me a crazy human. So we created this thing, we call it circle world, world, but it's literally like your spider web thing. And it's literally like, I mean, I am in the middle with a few other people in the middle. Like I look at, you know, 
who is, you know, really answering and a lot of things, but then there's circles and there's pods all around and they're all interconnected and there's communication that flows all the ways. And so we're weird in that regard, you know, because it is a, um, it's just a different way of looking, I think, at mm-hmm. a law firm. Mm-hmm. Very much so. So, okay. So what have you learned is necessary when it comes to managing and leading a virtual firm? Because, so we've talked a lot about the individuals and how to create a culture and some of the mindset shifts you have to have. But what specifically have you found as a firm leader and manager? And by the way, folks, and I know I'm grouping those two things together and you don't have to keep them together because they're not the same. And you start where you want, but leading and managing, not the same thing in case you didn't know. And just because you have a title doesn't make you a leader. So I'll leave that there. But what lessons have you found you really needed to learn that have then helped you with the virtual offer? Oh, I mean, first, I would say radical candor was my very first lesson of how do I care personally about every human? How do I then be able to challenge directly in a way that I can talk and have tough, tough conversations with people, but from a place of caring personally Uh and learning that in me and then trying to lead that in others in my firm, those, you know, C-suite kind of people who are, you know, managing in quotes you know, different teams. I personally am not a huge fan of the manager thing. Like I am definitely about leadership development and Mm -hmm. really about leadership development across the entire office, because I believe that everyone is a leader. And I believe that everyone starts by leading themselves and that that is your Mm -hmm. first lesson. Yes. in leading, then we see that spread out. Sometimes it might be leading friends. Sometimes it might be leading, you know, in a Toastmaster group or whatever. Or sometimes it might be leading, you know, your team at work. And then it might be leading a family. Like there's so many opportunities for leadership. So being focused on how do we as a firm, and I would say we're in our infancy at being able to do this, really create a leadership development program that is, firm wide. I mean, we, mm-hmm. we've started in that we have a thing, we have one of our Slack channels called Rocket Fuel. And it's a place, it was initially for me to just, there's things I read and I, I come across and I'm really like, oh, this is powerful. And I mm-hmm. want to share it, you know, but mm-hmm. if I'm literally like slacking to everybody or whatever. So I thought, you know, this would be a great channel to see who's interested in leadership, who's engaged in that. And then that develops into what courses am I offering people? What kind of opportunities am I offering certain people? And like the example of, like I said, somebody resigned recently. I've had so many people reach out to me on our Slack channel and they're like, I know you're going through a transition. This probably is tough. Like you've got a lot going on, but I'm super interested in firm leadership or I'm super interested in this. I would love to talk to you. Like, how can I develop this? I mean, Talk about wildly game changing when you have people who are Mm self-identifying as like, this is something I'm interested in. Now, the accountability piece is, I would say, has been a real struggle for us in that initially, when I first started in 2015, 
I had the mindset of, I mean, I'm this super responsible, accountable person. So of course, all the people are personally accountable. And I happened to hire three people very early on who were insanely accountable, like over the top accountable. Then as we started growing, you would see holes in some of that. And I'd be like, well, that's so bizarre. Like that person didn't (laughs) build their hours. And I was like, oh, they must not have put their hours in or something. You know what I mean? And I'd reach out and be like, oh, you're like, you know, your hours were like half this month. Like what happened? Did you, you know, not put them in? And they'd be like, well, no, I didn't really work then. Or, you know, they would have all these things. And I was like, well, what are we going to do about that? Like, what's the plan? You know what I mean? How are you catching up? And so then it became more obvious to me that we needed to look at this on the front end more, Mm -hmm. you know, and, but then also how do we read the data? How Mm -hmm. do we look at our productivity data and other data? What are the KPIs we have in place for every team member? And how do we look at that data and what story is that data telling us not only in the short term, but the long term? -term. Yeah. And then I'm guessing how do you then as a leader reach out and ask the questions in a way that's honest, candid, but yet, of course, nice, you know, respectful, and then help them get to a place where they're either going to work or you're going to figure out they're not the right fit. Right. Or or do they need to lower their hours? I mean, maybe they've got something going on in their life and they're like, oh, I am never going to make these, but I could make this, you know, Right. and then we're going to have their salary will be decreased. Their hours will be decreased. Like it's all good. I just recently had an attorney do that and just be like, I would like to pull it down some. And I was like, perfect. I mean, to me, that is the biggest win-win when you have somebody come to you and say, oh, I am not meeting my expectations, not my intent. You know, obviously I have a lot going on. And I mean, we try to do coaching with people. We've created recently this thing called a goal action plan because we're trying to focus on the whole idea of clear is kind and unclear mm-hmm. is unkind, you know, and really having that conversation, making sure there's a purpose statement so they understand why we're having the conversation. Mm-hmm. They understand what expectation we're seeing that is not met. Then we, the very first thing we want is their narrative. What is the context around why Mm. it isn't met? So we talk about numbers plus narrative. And so, you know, how how do we get that story from them about what is going on? Because obviously most people absolutely want to succeed in their job and they want to do the right thing. And again, I would say that's part of that mindset thing, like not spinning these stories of, oh, this person's trying to pull one over on me or this, you know what I mean? Like knowing that people very much want to do the right thing and knowing how many stories people are telling themselves about, oh, I feel uncomfortable talking about this or I feel uncomfortable, you know, bringing this up. We are trying so hard to normalize the narratives Mm -hmm. so that those narratives are shared There's no other way for us to be able to share the workload, share the burden if we don't have those narratives. So everything you're talking about is 
really foundational to creating a collaborative environment, which is so key to having a virtual firm. What I'm hearing you saying, and and I just want to like break this apart a little bit so people understand, because there's a lot in what you're saying. Number one, if you're going to lead a virtual firm, you must be willing to have very candid, honest conversations. You cannot like let things go under the rug. You got to actually pay attention look at the numbers, keep up with them very regularly, and then reach out to find out what's going on and not make assumptions, but reach out and find out what's going on and then be willing to help them. You know, do we need to revise something? Is something going on? Is, you know, what is it? And that's, there's a lot of pieces and you've got to be willing to do that if it's going to work because otherwise it's just going to fall apart, I would think, over time. It does. And I mean, we have seen, you know, I mean, obviously, I mean, if we had like all day, I could tell you about all the mistakes I have made. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) And it wouldn't even be covered in the day. Like, you know, like thinking, oh, well, I don't want to bother this person now. Like, I know they're having a hard time with this. So I'm just not going to say something. And that goes on for a few weeks. And then maybe the problem morphs into something else. So then I'm like, oh, they're really having a tough time. Like, I should not be talking with them right now because that is really piling it on. I mean, hello, like talk about missing the opportunity to Mm -hmm. step in and actually help offer support, really dig into what needs to be done and treating people with that clarity so that they know, okay, I'm not meeting my expectation or I'm not doing something. We're calling it out. We're normalizing Mm -hmm. the conversation and it's not a big, scary event, you know, like it's just a, this normal, sane person in my office is going to have a normal, sane conversation with me. We're going to brainstorm solutions. We're going to think about it. We're going to probably schedule another check-in. I mean, probably even soon, like in a week, maybe two Mm -hmm. weeks, you know, depending on the scenario. And we're going to keep that conversation going. I would say also we stigmatize too often people's weaknesses. Like everybody has them, but yet we want to stay away from them and we don't want to have the conversation about it. And we don't want to point it out and we sweep it under the rug. And by doing that, all you're doing is extending the problem, allowing them to dig their hole even deeper. And and as you said, clear is kind, unclear is unkind. And that is so true. Because if you see it and identify what's going on early by talking to them, you can actually help them shore up their weaknesses and hopefully work out. And certainly, even if they don't work out long-term at your firm, they learn something, they get better, and they figure out what will work for me, what won't, and you've learned something too. And so when you allow people to just keep going and you do nothing about it, it's more likely to blow up. It's more likely you're not going to be able to learn much from it because the relationship is going to be so frayed at that point. Yeah. So all of that, you know, yeah. And I also wanted to note, so being a leader in this type of a firm, massively requires you to have a high level of emotional intelligence. I mean, you just, and you got to constantly work on it. I think people don't understand sometimes that emotional intelligence isn't something that you, I'm going to work towards it for the next year or two, and then I'm done. No, it's a constant struggle to stay there. (laughs) You got to constantly work on it. Hour by hour kind of struggle. Like every time I'm talking to somebody, I'm asking, 
Am I showing up vulnerably? Am I showing up with an empathetic ear? Am I showing up and open enough where they feel heard, truly heard? You know, am I showing up in a way that is so not threatening despite our positions in the firm? Because that is something I struggle with so much when people tell me, oh, Elise, you know, so-and-so doesn't want to say that to you, you know, because you're the boss. And I'm like, I am not the boss. Like, I hate that word. And I'm like, no, that, you know, but really, I mean, sometimes really calling that out and talking to people very frankly about that and being willing sometimes to let myself be open. I mean, just today, I mean, here we are with this person who's resigned. I said to my leadership team, I was like, what if we have a frank conversation where we have an ask Elise anything, you know, and let Mm -hmm. the entire team come in and ask me anything. I mean, that's probably kind of weird in response to a resignation, but it seems to me people could have questions. They Mm -hmm. could have worries, thoughts. I have no idea how they'll be feeling. I mean, I can come up with my ideas of how they'll be feeling, but until I give them a forum, a setting, a place to ask all those and say whatever they need to say, how do I really know? You know? Yeah. And let me just note people, this is more, this is about leadership in general at the end of the day. All of the stuff we're talking about here is absolutely necessary for a virtual law firm to work, but it's also necessary for an in-person non-virtual law firm to be healthy. This is about healthy leadership. And you, I don't think you can have a virtual law firm without healthy leadership because it won't work over time. It will implode. You can have law firms that are not healthy in oh, person. Without, and yes, sometimes they do implode, but it's harder for them to implode when they're not virtual. I really encourage anybody listening to this who's saying, yeah, but virtual is not for me. There's a lot to be learned here from this whole conversation for you, regardless of whether virtual is for you or not. And one thing I want, I know we're kind of coming up on time and I want to respect your time, but I have a question, one final question for you. You talked earlier about you don't want your people to be managers. You want everybody to be leaders. So what to you is the difference between managing versus leading? I think of managing as more of a carrot and stick kind of routine. And it's like a a top down kind of command thing. Whereas I think of leadership is more of a developing trust, inspiring people to kind of dig in and be their best selves. And it's a much more intrinsic thing. I don't know what the formal definition difference is, but you know, that's how I look at it. And so I find that if we are having to do a whole bunch of top-down adjusting to deal with some person, something, and it's this constant thing that, you know, I always say, if I'm spending more time in a typical week thinking about an employee than I think about my husband, we've got a problem. You know, and I say, Houston, we have a problem. (laughs) And so, because realistically, the type of environment we have, it works beautifully for leaders. It doesn't work beautifully for adolescents, you know, and who are, who kind of need that twisty turny, like, let's make sure we're fixing everything for you and make sure we're you know, giving you those carrots and sticks all the time because Uh it's just that, and maybe because that kind of just goes against who I am personally, I'm not 
a big fan of it. And so, I mean, when I raised my own children, I wasn't that kind of parent. You could be a, a, a minimum wage earner and be the most high value, amazing human. And then you want to compare that person to, you know, I don't know, Elon Musk. And I mean, we won't even have that conversation, but do you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. and so really helping people to intrinsically decide what is their best self and how do they get there and how can I Mm -hmm. support them in those efforts? Yeah. And I would say you, you, I don't think managing is all bad. I think it depends on the type of managing, but the difference to me I don't think this is what the books say, right? <laughs> that managers are, the, the goal of a manager is to achieve the organizational goals. And they can use a lot of different means to do it. If they're good managers, then they also understand complexity. They can think forward. They can, you know, think tactically. And they don't use the carrot stick so much. They, they try to then step up and become leaders And leadership is where you influence others in a positive way. It's inspirational. It's motivational. It's not just to, so, and there's kind of two goals, the organization's goal, but also to inspire them to buy into that goal and then also to buy into themselves so that they can step into being a leader for themselves and being the best version of themselves, which then of course furthers the organization, but furthers them individually as well. To me, that's what leadership is. Yep. So thank you so much for coming on today for this conversation. Oh, absolutely. I love talking to you. You and I could talk for hours. (laughs) We probably could. (laughs) Um, If somebody is searching for you, where can they find you? Um, Probably just the best would be to go to our website, you know, elisebuiefamilylaw.com. And I mean, you know, they can reach out through there and I could get contact information. Um, But yeah, that would be the best, I would say. And also, I think LinkedIn because you yeah. also have you have some wonderful LinkedIn posts. I will put a link to your LinkedIn. <laughs> okay. If somebody wants to follow her, I highly recommend it because that's how we got hooked up actually it was is. through LinkedIn. I saw yeah. you through somebody I knew and I loved all the stuff you were posting about. And then we networked from there and got to know each other. So I'll put thank that in there. You. I appreciate well, that, Heather. You're so welcome. Well, thank you so much for coming. Absolutely. And everybody, we will be talking next week. Are you tired of barely squeezing life in thinking, shouldn't there be more to life than this? Do you want to get to the next level, but without losing yourself in the process? Are you ready to start thinking and doing differently so that you can stop doing the same things over and over and over, hoping for a different result? If any of this speaks to you and you're ready to do something about it starting now, book a call with me to find out how I can help. Go to lifeandlawpodcast.com forward slash free call.